the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. The rain and the wind the other day knocked us for another devastating loop here in southeast Michigan. Lots of people in the dark, lots of damage to houses and cars, and in the worst cases, the human life. We're going to talk today about making our infrastructure a little more resilient to the changing weather and how much work lies ahead for all of us. Then we're going to meet the new president of U of D Mercy. That's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us. So the other evening, I was standing on a balcony on the rear of my house in Detroit and watching winds like I had never seen absolutely ravaging the trees in my backyard. I was really worried. They're big trees. They're old. They're not in great shape. And I thought, these are the kind of winds that could absolutely topple one of those trees. Maybe onto my house or my garage. Maybe onto one of my neighbor's properties. And as I was standing there, that's exactly what happened. A huge limb from one of these trees broke loose and tumbled to the ground. Now, luckily, the only casualty were a couple of pickets in my fence and a cable line that got pulled to a little bit of an extreme. But as I was standing there, I was thinking to myself, how would you protect against something like this? 70 mile an hour winds? That's almost tornado speed. It's just under a mild hurricane. How are we supposed to be prepared to deal with these kinds of storms? And then I thought back to last year, last summer, when we had storm after storm after storm that dumped unbelievable amounts of water on our region and caused pumps to be overwhelmed, and people's basements and backyards to become like rivers and lakes. The weather is changing. It is changing dramatically, and it is changing fast. And like so many other extreme weather events, the one this week has us re-examining how we prepare ourselves and our infrastructure for future events. What are we supposed to do when weather patterns are so different? When one summer we have crazy floods and the next we practically have no rain at all, but we get an incredible, incredible windstorm. How do we deal with the way that the climate is changing? There's a lot we can and should do, of course, and there's a lot that we are actually doing. We need to plant more trees to cool down hotter areas and to soak up rain. We need to update our drainage system to deal better with floods, and we need to stop burning so much carbon to protect kids against toxic pollution that leaves them with asthma and cuts their lives short, and, of course, helps warm the planet, making these storms more frequent and more intense. Now, some of these things we're already in the process of doing, and that's really great. The Infl Inflation Reduction Act, for instance, is one of the steps in the right direction toward creating a greener and cleaner world, one where the climate is perhaps not as affected by our presence on the planet. But I really wonder, and I was really wondering the other night, standing and watching this storm, 
whether there's sometimes when we are just going to be left vulnerable. When storms like the one the other day just leave hundreds of thousands without power, create all kinds of damage, and in the worst cases, again, take human life. Is there anything we can do? Is there anything that our electrical companies and state leaders could do to protect us against these kinds of events? And how much progress are we making right now to build more resiliency into our existing grid? That's what we want to talk about today. What are we supposed to do? I felt helpless the other night. I felt like all of the things that I did last summer to better prepare my house and my property for flooding meant nothing in the face of 70 mile an hour winds. It didn't matter. We've got a couple guests with us who think a lot about these things and have some ideas about what we should be prepared to endure and what we should be doing to make it all easier. Beth Gibbons is the executive director of the American Society of Adaptation Professionals. That's a nonprofit that defends against climate change. Beth, welcome back to Detroit Today. Stephen, thank you so much for inviting me back, and I really appreciate getting to be part of this conversation today. And Nick Schreck is the Associate Dean of Experiential Education and Associate Professor at University of Detroit Mercy Law School. Nick, welcome back to Thanks, Detroit Stephen. today. Great to be with you. Yeah. So, Beth, uh, let's start with this. How much can we do to protect against big storms that do wind damage rather than water damage? I think the last time we talked to you, in fact, on the show here, we were talking about rainstorms and the, the, the crazy flooding that we experience here in Southeast Michigan. This storm the other day was something entirely different. So uh, what, what, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to just watch and be vulnerable as this unfolds around us? No, we're, we're certainly not. And I appreciate the frame that you're giving this, Stephen, because the impacts that we're seeing from climate change are varied and they're variable. And so pre preparation doesn't have a single pathway. We're really dealing with these kinds of compounding impacts, more severe storms, whether that be severe precipitation, whether it be these high wind storms, but also marked by these kind of droughts and lack of rain. <clears throat> like you were saying, we experienced over the course of the summer. Um, so there, you know, there's a direction that I hear this conversation potentially going that I'll introduce, which is there's resilience in our built infrastructure, the work that we're looking to our municipalities and our utilities to do. When we can talk about some of those, it could be burying power lines and it can be improving um, power restoration times, this type of thing. But there's also a thread here about social resilience and about how do we care for one another and how do we prepare in our communities to be able to um, think about what is coming, to be able to respond both to the acute event and then to think about the way that we bring these conversations and knowledge that impacts are with us and going to be continuing to increase even, even as we see success with things like the, with the um, Inflation Reduction Act, we're still going to be facing severe climate impacts for years to come. Um, and so this sort of social resilience, as we call it, uh, having stronger relationships with our neighbors, being prepared to look out for one another, thinking about the smaller scale connectivity is critical when we come through any type of um, acute event. And I think this windstorm is very much in that category of who do we turn to? How do we ensure that there is, that we have a sense of personal safety and that our neighbors have a sense of personal safety? Um, and that's something that we really need to be including as we imagine the steps that we take. It's not just, these aren't just technical solutions. They're not just built um, infrastructure, infrastructure solutions, but things that we can be doing as individuals and as communities to know mm. one another and support one another better. Yeah, you know, that's a really great point. And I, I will point out that right after the storm, I had to, I had to get in the car and, and go someplace. And of course, I got to see 
the damage that had been done in my neighborhood. And one of the most moving things I saw was a, a group of neighbors all out uh, trying to remove a rather large tree that had fallen across one of the major streets in our neighborhood. They had chainsaws, they had axes, they had other kinds of equipment, uh, but it was just ordinary people. And I think they had just decided, look, uh, this happened and we, we can't wait for somebody else to come and clean that up. It's a, it's, it's a perfect example, I think, of what you're talking about, which is that mm -hmm. we need to connect to uh, each other and figure out ways together to, to be able to, to manage these things. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And having that plan in place, having community resilience plans in place, and they these are not things, I'm not trying to put this on individuals in neighborhoods alone. Our municipalities, our utilities, the state and city governments, they have an incredible role to play. We could talk about those solutions, but um, those are entities that, you know, the city can create an enabled environment, having and supporting community resilience centers, which are not just for relief in the heat, but a place that people can gather, that they can plan, that they know one another. Um, and I think that there's examples in Detroit where this is really already happening. Eastside Community Network does a great job of this, of creating community space, of people coming together before, during, and after events to get the kinds of connections and um, resources that they need. And then they're able to know who to call or who's home to walk over to to say, oh, you know, there's a, you know, there's a strong 17 year old over there to help pull a tree mm -hmm, <laughs> around. Mm -hmm. and, and then you can do that and you can and really be coming together and have stronger bonds through these events. And again, I go back to part of what's important here is that knowing you have a plan enables you to be able to talk about it and think about it because climate change can be so overwhelming. Even though we know that these events are becoming more common, we went through the storms of last summer. We you know, could anticipate that these are going to happen again, but we tend to look away from it when we don't have a plan and have kind of mental and emotional resilience to be able to prepare for the impacts that are upon us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Nick Shrek, I want to bring you into the conversation here. You and I talk about this issue a lot. Normally, we're talking about rain and water and flooding. Uh, first, I want to get your reaction to what we saw the other night and how prepared we are in terms of our infrastructure, in terms of our utilities for, I guess, uh, you know, tornadic kinds of wind storms that I, I, I suppose could become as frequent as the the deluge style of of rain that we deal with. Well, not to make it about me, Stephen, but um, <laughs> to, in solidarity with with many listeners out there today, um, you know, we lost power at 6 p.m. on Monday, and and it still hasn't been restored at home, and and we're um, you know without an estimate for restoration, and so you know it, it's you, you get past that. 30, 40 hour mark, and it starts to get a little, <laughs> a little tiresome for sure. And, um, and so, I mean, in short, we're, we're not prepared for those high level winds. You know, when you get up to around 70 miles per hour, a lot of our infrastructure is old. Um, you mentioned watching the trees in your backyard, and, and that is a big issue where we're seeing many tree limbs down uh, over utility lines that, that cause these outages. And it's, it's not just in, in people's yards. I mean, these are often trees that are in the easement where the utility lines run, where they need to be trimmed. Um, and then just the infrastructure itself, a lot of it is, is older and, and outdated and needs to be upgraded or, or hardened, as, as utility companies are, are fond of saying. And so, yeah, I mean, in addition to flooding, I mean, this is more volatile weather, more extreme weather, higher winds. These type of storm events are going to be more frequent and more intense. And so when we look towards a more sustainable future, the question is, um, how do we design these systems in a way that are, are more resilient and more responsive to these types of extreme weather events and that are going to be more frequent? And so, you know, that, as Beth mentioned, you know, looking at having some more of our utility lines be underground, um, you know, looking at a, a lot of residential areas, the, the service line from the utility pole to the homes are above ground, and those often, you know, get knocked out by falling limbs. So there's a lot of those kinds of things we can do. Um, but I, I really think we need to be – going even bigger and looking at, you know, how can we have more distributed power generation, meaning, you know, more solar on our roofs. Um, I mean, I, I was sitting there this morning at 
5 a.m. getting the generator started and thinking to myself, um, wouldn't it be nice if I had solar panels on my roof and a big mm-hmm. battery bank in the basement um, where you know I, I could I could be right now it's a beautiful sunny day I could be generating electricity uh, and using it in the home and the problem is our utility companies DTE here in Metro Detroit have made it very difficult uh, for individuals to install solar on their roofs and have been you know resistant to large scale adoption of either individual solar energy or community solar. So some of the programs like community efforts we're talking about, I mean, it's very difficult to get those off the ground uh, based on the current regulatory framework. So in short, we're not prepared. There's a lot we can be doing, and, um, and, and I'm, I'm certainly hopeful for that future. Yeah. So, Nick, uh, I want to talk about DTE in particular. I think you can't have this conversation without talking about the the power company that all of us uh, in Southeast Michigan, or most of us, uh, have to rely on. And of course, I, I want to first acknowledge the number of people on our social media feed who are talking about power, the power that they don't have, how long they haven't had power. Um, and I want to point out a particular comment, uh, Scotty on Twitter says he posted the two days later outage map uh, for DTE, and he says five minutes of high winds, at least that's what we experienced in in Birmingham, shouldn't cause this. I I think that's a really interesting statement because I think most people feel the same way. But again, 70 mile an hour winds aren't, aren't normal. So how much responsibility does DTE shoulder for how badly this storm uh, is affecting people and how long it's taking to get power back on? And and how much of it is it is just that we just haven't seen anything like this in, you know, ever? I mean, that, that, that these are storms that it would be unreasonable to expect that uh, that things could bounce back to normal. I guess, is it one or the other, or is it a combination of those two, those two poles? Well, it's a combination, and DTE certainly bears some responsibility here. I mean, if you look at the number of outages in other states when these type of weather events happen, um, we tend to have more outages in Michigan, and then the response of restoring power tends to be longer than in other states, too. And, you know, I think that there might be some geographic reasons for that. There might be some, um, you, you know, certain... Um, the, just the topography of the earth, you know, sometimes can have have an influence on on how the wind moves over the landscape. But you know, really, I, I think we're we're dealing with um, longer outages and more frequent outages than you see in other states. And so that that to me says that there's there's an issue here with our infrastructure and an issue with the way that it's being maintained and and upgraded or the failure to upgrade it uh, by DTE. Um, you know, and interestingly, just oh last month there was a public meeting. DTE is seeking to raise residential electric rates um, for, in part, enhancing the reliability of the grid. And there were hundreds of people that showed up at that meeting of the Public Service Commission saying, you know, wait a minute, we've already got all these problems with outages where we wait too long to have our power restored, and now they're asking for more money rather than using a lot of the resources that they already have. And, and this gets often into the discussion about a investor-owned public utility. So like in DT, you know, we can we can own shares in this company. And so there's there's always an incentive on the part of the company to return profit to shareholders. And oftentimes people that are ratepayers and are, are experiencing service interruptions and lengthy times to restore their power, um, you know, you ask that question, like, is too much money being returned to shareholders rather than being invested in our infrastructure? Um, and then the final thing I'll say is that our, our Public Service Commission, which does regulate DTE and consumers' energy, here in the state, um, they, they have been taking a much harder look at this power outage issue and the response times and, you know, increasing some of the fines that the utility has to pay for lengthy outages. But it, it's not enough, right? Like, we're not where we need to be. And so um, I would say, yes, with higher winds, and, and remember, to the, to the poster, to the commenter's point about the five minutes, a straight line wind event where you have really high winds, I mean, that, that can knock over trees, that can knock over utility poles, it can knock out cellular towers, all kinds of things in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not necessarily the duration of the storm, it's the intensity of it. Um, but but yeah, it's a combination. You've got these, these higher wind events which cause problems, but then you also have um, poorly maintained infrastructure or infrastructure that needs to be upgraded and a whole lot of term, tree trimming that needs to go on. Yeah. 
Okay, we're going to yeah, take... Yeah, Stephen, oh, could go I ahead. hop in for just yeah, a second? Ahead, I just, yeah, sure. I really, I think that DTE has a huge responsibility to play in this. And mm -hmm. what we we're just touching on, their request for the rate hike um, in yeah. light of their Terrible timing, right? Power. I mean, my goodness. Uh. Yeah, but I mean, it's always going to be terrible timing until they start to demonstrate that they're interested in reducing the energy burden on our communities that have the lowest resources, actually incentivizing solar, enable, and that they're able to restore power. Because your point that this windstorm was unique may be true, but the impacts, again, we can't look at this as a windstorm or as a rain event or as an ice storm. You know, this is something that our utilities have got to be planning for restoration plans for all of the impacts of climate change, which are coming in various forms. But if they have strong restoration plans and emergency deployment plans, then they're going to be able to support restoration through multiple types of scenarios. And that's, I think, what the failure is. If we if we look at one single event and say that this was unique, respond to it but this is part of a system of change which we're experiencing and they need to be accommodating that yeah yeah uh, okay we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we are going to continue this conversation about the storms the infrastructure our grid and our resiliency i want to hear from you give us a call tell us how you're doing in the aftermath of the storm the other night? Do you have power? Uh, are you suffering from other kinds of damage that uh, the storm caused? Also give us a sense of how frustrated you are with our utility companies, with DTE in particular. Is it reasonable that so many people still don't have power a few days later? Uh, what do you think they ought to be doing to make sure that this doesn't happen over and over again? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. How are you doing after the storms a few days ago here in southeast Michigan? Unbelievable winds that did all kinds of damage to trees, to homes, to cars, in some cases uh, did damage to human life. Uh, very different from the storms that we experienced last summer that just dumped buckets and buckets of water on the region and overwhelmed uh, our sewers and our pumps and made people's basements and backyards into lakes and rivers. Are we supposed to be getting used to, adapting to these kinds of storms, their frequency, their intensity, uh, the variety of the kinds of storms that we're, uh, that we're experiencing. That's what we're talking about this hour, and we've got two great guests with us uh, to help flesh it out. Beth Gibbons is Executive Director of the American Society of Adaptation Professionals. Nick Schreck is Associate Dean of Experiential Education and Associate Professor at UD Mercy School of Law. We want to hear from you as well. Give us a call. Tell us how you're doing after the storms. Is your power on? Are you frustrated with DTE or a power company that is still struggling to get people back uh, powered up after the storms? Lots and lots of people still don't have uh, don't have power, and I think just as frustrating, uh, there there isn't anything to tell them when they will get power back. I mean, it, it, there's this kind of uh, not knowing that I think compounds the frustration when things like this happen. Uh, give us a call. Let us know what you think we ought to be doing now that we are experiencing these storms pretty regularly here in southeast Michigan. This is the second summer of storms like this and the second summer ever, it seems, with storms like this. Uh, we don't, we're not used to 
this kind of weather. It happened infrequently uh, before. Now it seems to be a pretty regular occurrence. Uh, also, give us a sense of how you're interacting in your community uh, when these things happen. I told a story earlier about seeing neighbors in my neighborhood out immediately after the storm trying to remove a tree from uh, across a street, a major street in our neighborhood. They had uh, whatever they could get their hands on at the moment and were working together to try to make sure that the street was clear. I imagine that there are lots of those kinds of stories unfolding around the region. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Okay, we've got a lot of feedback already. Uh, I want to start with some Twitter comments. Jesse says, what changes need to be made in how we implement trees in the urban environment? The benefits of trees in cities are well documented, but trees planted decades ago are dying and maintenance often falls to property owners who may not be able to afford it. Ken on Twitter says, old and above ground in a region with lots of trees and increasingly violent storms is a formula for exactly what we have been experiencing for uh, decades. Uh, lots of people on social talking about the fact that they don't have power. Uh, they still don't have power and don't know when the power is coming back on. Courtney uh, on Twitter says, uh, can't listen to the show online because of uh, intermittent service and signal. Uh, her neighborhood has terrible infrastructure, multiple outages this year already. DTE knows uh, that she lives in a problem spot, but always they seem to be the last to be uh, prepared. Uh, Michael on Twitter also says he wishes he could listen, uh, but his power is out. Uh, let's go to the phones here and start with uh, Jamel in Detroit. Jamel, welcome to the show. Hello. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, not well. Not too good. Uh, have my power out since Monday, and so mm -hmm. uh, just a couple of quick comments. How do they prioritize who gets their power on first? Because as I look at the outage map for DTE, uh, I'm in that like a light. I live east, uh, uh, just east of Indian Village, and for some reason, I look at the outage map. It says between 500 to 1,000 people. I'm in that little shaded area. So isn't that a quick fix? And secondly, they came through here last summer. They treat trims. They put up the new crossbars on the poles to maybe, uh, reinforce the infrastructure. But it's, it's, it's whether the winds are 70 miles an hour or 20 miles an hour. The grid I live on between, like, maybe uh, McClellan over the hurl, but it's the same thing all the time. It's the same little sliver of grid that goes out. I want to know exactly what's going on. Uh, mm. Why is it, is it? Are we on a, just a bad piece of grid? Uh, should they, are they ignoring us? You know, the, your, 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 your guess that it could be geographic. Well, is it geographic or is it demographic? I yeah. want to know what's going on, man. Yeah. Thank you for accepting my call. I really appreciate your time, sir. Great questions, Jamel. I'm glad uh, you, you called, and I hope your power comes back soon. Uh, Nick, talk about the, the way that DTE prioritizes neighborhoods and parts of our geography. There was uh, a map that was released last week by ProPublica and Outlier Media that suggested that uh, the, the, the plans for upgrading the infrastructure uh, are, are influenced by race and, and by economics, that, that people who are in areas with more poor people and more people of color are not going to get upgrades uh, as soon or if ever uh, as uh, areas with, uh, with richer people and, and wider communities. Uh, w what do we know from looking at what DTE is doing about how they prioritize places? Well, there's certainly a priority on public safety issues. So, you know, they'll, they'll try and, you know, clear lines over, over roads and get traffic signals working. And then, you know, hospitals, you know, places like that, schools. I mean, there's many schools that are still out, right? I mean, you talk about impacts that are, um, you know, kind of knock-on effects. I mean, there's schools that are closed now for the second day uh, because of, of lack of power. So they do try and prioritize those. And then to the caller's point, um, you know, I, I'm not, I, I don't work for DT and I don't know all the internal deliberations, certainly, but when you look at past practice, it does seem that when you have larger uh, sections of the grid that they can restore power and get, you know, a, a greater number of people back online sooner, they, they do seem to, to, to prioritize those as well. Um, and then you'll sometimes see, like the caller's question about his particular street or his neighborhood, there are some areas that, you know, whether it, again, it, it's a, a main um, 
feeding line or service line coming in that that has you know some sort of failures in it or some sort of, of challenges to why, why it continuously goes down. You know, I, I don't know about that specifically, but like, in general, it's those kind of public safety and making sure that, you know, we prioritize things like hospitals, healthcare providers, uh, schools, those types of places, and then they start, you know, getting into the residential neighborhoods. Um, and, you know, again, you look at like several years ago when we had the, the high winds that led to fires in Detroit on the east side, um, and a lot of complaints from residents that it took days uh, or, or perhaps weeks to get power restored. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know why I can't speak for the utility about you know, why certain neighborhoods tend to have these problems over and over again and, and why it takes longer to restore the power there. Um, but, but I think the caller you know, raises a really good question. And, and I would encourage you know, everyone, callers included, to you can submit comments to the Public Service Commission, letting them know. You can do it online when the power is back on, uh, letting them know about your experience. And, and certainly if there's this pattern, make sure that the commission knows about it so that they can then you know, work to hold the utility accountable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Jamel, thanks for the call. Hope the power comes back soon. Let's go next to Emily in Detroit. Emily, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Stephen. Um, mm-hmm. I actually came to your house. I am a certified arborist. And, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you came out yesterday to take a look at uh, the damage here and uh, take a look at yeah. my trees. Yeah. And so I just wanted to put in a pitch for adding more trees to our urban forest. I think um, the more trees we have, the more sheltered they will all be. And that can avoid um, big breakouts. If you have a cluster of trees, it um, protects the interior trees um, as well as the exterior trees from being um, damaged in high winds. Mm -hmm. And more volume of trees can also protect power lines. it seems counterintuitive, but if you have more of them, they react as a single unit and they can protect um, things like power lines. Um, so planting more trees and then keeping them properly pruned, as well as consulting um, certified arborists for advice on how to keep your tree looking good. Um, over pruning is a thing that I see all the time. People. Mm-hmm take out too much of the tree and then it doesn't react nicely in the wind. Trees are sort of set up on their own to do a really good job. And it's when we start messing with them that they have big problems. Yeah. Uh, Emily, I really appreciate uh, you calling and, and sharing that. And you and I talked a little about some of those things yesterday, standing in my backyard, watching uh, the, looking at the damage and thinking about the trees uh, that I have and, and how they have been, uh, taken care of uh, over the years. Um, uh, Beth, I, 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 that's two people who've now made the point about about trees and the the way that trees can can help us deal with these things and and prevent some of the things that are that are going on. It, it does seem like uh, we don't do enough tree planting, especially in cities, um, but we also don't do enough to take care of of the trees that we have so that they can perform the kind of protection they might offer us. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And trees really do offer a bounty of benefits from both the kind of reducing carbon because they're, they're capturing carbon for us, but then they can protect us, you know, as, as the caller was saying, a stand of trees is stronger together as protection in a wind block during a storm like this. Obviously we, maybe not obviously, but we know that trees are also critical in storm water management. So they have been integrated into some municipalities, storm water um, utility plants. And so they're actually thought about as part of the actual infrastructure for the storm water uh, of a city. And you were getting to the point too, though, of trees are difficult to plant, or maybe we don't plant enough of them, and then they have to be maintained. And I just want to highlight that this is something that I think cities are grappling right now with as they're looking at the potential for funding from the earlier Infrastructure Act, and now the Inflation Reduction Act is trying to say, are are monies coming in going to be a single time or are they going to be generational dollars? Because mm-hmm. trees take maintenance over time. And so we need to make sure we can both, we can plant them and we can maintain them and then we can plant new ones. And that really requires sustained funding, general 
fund support at a city where they can feel comfortable investing in something that's going to need care over the next 30, 50 years. Um, and again, kind of a case for thinking about trees as part of our built infrastructure, the same way you would think about your bridge or your road. Uh, so you're thinking about that long-term plan and you're investing in it in the same way. They certainly are a critical part of both how we're going to combat the impacts of climate change and also reduce the impacts of climate change. Yeah. And everybody, well, not everybody loves trees, but um, they're <laughs> less controversial than other things we could talk about. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, again, thanks, uh, Emily, for the call. And of course, thanks for the help uh, that uh, you and the other folks at Singing Tree here in Detroit are going to do for me at my house where uh, the cleanup has yet to start. So uh, again, uh, thanks for the call. Let's go to Carl in Detroit. Carl, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Um, my question has to do with the uh, quota that our legislature has placed on the installation of solar panels mm -hmm. uh, in Michigan. And I know the complaint is that uh, it will take away revenue that will help support the grid, and that the grid can't, <clears throat> can't stand for that or, for that matter, a uh, further penetration of um, electric, uh, electric vehicles in the, in the meantime. I think that if they can't provide us with um, reliable power, that at least they should allow us to protect ourselves. And in terms of not having the net metering, that's or the ridiculous price for the net metering. Um, that makes no sense to me because yeah. it can help level out the grid, and they'll say the grid can't take more electric cars, or, in, or if you have the solar panels, they you have to wind up dumping power, extra power, when it's yeah. too warm or too sunny or what mm -hmm. have you. Well, I say, and the grid has to be upgraded. Well, they have it exactly wrong. It's not going to stress the grid. If enough of us get this, the grid will have to be, will have to transfer less power. Right, it'll ease some of the, some of the stress. Well, so their the arguments are exactly backwards. Yeah, uh, Carl, I, I love the points that you're making. I'm glad you, you called. Nick, you, you mentioned solar and, and your desire to be able to have have, uh, you know, panels on your roof that uh, that could store power somewhere in your house for, for for things like this. Talk about the the impediments that Carl's mentioning here, the legislative uh, the legislative barriers that we have, and and the other things that that make it impossible really to get to that point at, at least right now. So. DTE and consumers, they're they very powerful lobbying interests in the state of Michigan. They have great influence in our legislature, and they've been able to yeah, put caps on the amount of, of solar energy that is allowed to be you know, grid-tied from residential customers, and that's what Carl was alluding to. So we need, we need to allow you know, people that want solar and that can, can afford it now or that can work on financing to get it done, they, they should be able to do so. And we should also have incentives for you know, communities and nonprofits to work together to get solar on the roofs of buildings and schools and everything. Um, and so, so that's a, a fix that has to be changed is you know, lifting that cap, removing that cap. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, the idea that having more solar on our homes is, is a problem for the grid, I, I, I agree that that's flawed, and it's flawed logic. I mean, we can, by distributing more generation, you can keep things a little bit more localized, and you, don't, you wouldn't necessarily have whole neighborhoods being without power. And, and one of, a, a commenter on, on Twitter made a good point that, you know, we're not there yet with batteries to be able to, you know, fully run most of our homes, you know, based on our own solar array on our roofs. But that technology is improving all the time, and we see things like investments from the infrastructure bill and then also the Inflation Reduction Act of making the grid smarter and making technologies exist where you could have your electric car you know, tied into the grid where you could draw power from that battery when it's full, and you could transfer power from that battery you know, back into the grid, and you, you, know, you could be generating solar to charge all of those things during the day. So there's a lot of things that we know we can do and we have the technology to do. It's just getting it implemented. And so fortunately, there's a big infusion coming from some of these federal dollars to hopefully um, move those programs forward. But, but it, it, yeah, we're not there yet, and, and it's, it's because ultimately it's flawed policies and, and flawed laws that we have in the state that need to be changed to incentivize investments in these new technologies and to make them roll out much more quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Carl, really, really love the call. and. The comments. Let's go next to Doug in Macomb. Doug, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Uh -huh. uh, first time caller. I'm, uh, like you said, uh, help the neighbor out. The neighbor came over, 
gave her dinner. Uh, she didn't have her cell phone, wasn't able to charge it, so we charged it for her. And we gave her a little portable charging unit that we were able to charge because mm. we have a generator. But my question is for the DTE is, I'm I'm for the EVs coming in here, but what would ha- what are we going to do if something goes on if the power's out for several days, which it is right now, and you have an electric vehicle? Hmm. Um, that's uh, it's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to sit like a brick in your garage, right, until until there's power. And you know, and unfortunately, people can't just go out and buy one right now. And it it uh, but when you do make the purchase um go ahead i'll listen to you what yeah do you yeah. Hear from? yeah doug I, I i think that's a great point and uh beth gibbons uh speaking of adaptation uh you know we are trying to get people to stop using the com- combustion engine in cars and the internal combustion engine and and switch to electric this kind of problem where the grid is not reliable is 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 a deterrent to that i mean it's absolutely the opposite of of an incentive and it 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 shows that we are not really uh adapting to the way that uh that that things are are headed and and that we're trying to push them yeah you're absolutely right this is a topic which we're trying to cover specifically in the next national climate assessment and the question is how how are we thinking about grid resilience and will the grid be able to accommodate the type of energy change the energy transition which we're hoping for in order to bring climate change under control we're going to be taxing our electric grid in new ways and I have to say we're not there on solutions and people who know a lot more about this topic than I do are worried about grid resilience. Um, if we not not to keep coming back to DTE, but they do have essentially a monopoly here and they have a responsibility to be taking this on as something that they're working to address because there is electrification coming. There's mm-hmm. a terrific amount of money in the IRA. We're looking at predictions of a hundred and you know the I, the infrastructure or the Inflation Reduction Act would say that we'll see a hundred and sixty thousand additional Michigan homes installing rooftop panels. That we are going to see thirty percent of costs to install solar panels and battery storage being covered by the Infrastructure Reduction Act here in Michigan. Um, if those changes are coming, then DTE is going to need to be prepared to have a grid that will support it. Um, I think that Doug's question, though, I know that the answer doesn't address that anxiety of how can I purchase an electric vehicle if I don't trust in the grid? Um, I think that the battery storage is an option. I also think that uh, electric vehicles, this is an interesting take on something that's often called range anxiety of mm-hmm. how far can my car take me? Yes. The, you know, the likelihood of your car battery, um, you know, exhausting itself while you're waiting for power to come back on is probably a fear that is less likely to be realized than, um, than it might be an impediment to purchasing. You know, um, I think that this goes into having better communication and information about the range and the duration of battery charge and also doing the upgrades that we need for the grid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got a, a a question on social that I want to that I want to put into the into the mix here. Matt Friedman, a PR professional here in Southeast Michigan, asks. He says, "Please forgive me if you answer this on the air, but any insight as to why the same storm system caused just twenty five thousand outages in the Chicago area? In other words, ten percent." of the outages in a market that's twice as big. They've got trees there, too. I can vouch for that. I've been to Chicago and seen their trees. Uh, Nick, talk about the difference between what we're doing here and what happened in Chicago. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that uh, they had so much less. Now, maybe the storm wasn't as intense as it blew through Chicago, um, but that's a big difference. That's yeah, what... and I saw some similar numbers for, you know, Indiana and Ohio where, you know, the storm hit, you know, very similarly to, to how it affected us, and, and they had, you know, much lower numbers of outages. And so that's where, you know, as we were having this discussion earlier, um, you know, what's what's the cause of that? I mean, there's there's trees all over the place, all over the Midwest and the Great Lakes region. We have older communities. Um, you know, there is a difference um, 
certainly with the type of sprawl that we have in Southeast Michigan, um, and you know, one of the commenters um, mentioned this too, that you know, as we're extending infrastructure further and further out into the suburbs, that does make it more vulnerable um, when you have a break. I mean, whether we're talking about electric utilities or like we saw with the water main, you know, coming in from Lake Huron a couple weeks ago, uh, leading to loss of water to, to thousands and thousands of people. So the, the further spread out we are, it is, it is harder to maintain more of that infrastructure. So that may be a difference between some other states. Um, but I, I'm going back to the age of our infrastructure. The, it needs to be upgraded. And the fact that we've had so much deferred maintenance, whether that deferred maintenance is on the, the poles and the wires themselves or the, uh, the tree trimming and maintenance that needs to go on there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, thanks for the call and uh, the questions. Let's go next to, oh, I'm sorry, wait, we've got to take a break. <laughs> we've got to take another break before we get back to the calls. I've gotten caught up in all of the, the content today. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue to talk about the grid and the storms resiliency. We'll continue to hear from you on social and on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about the storms the other day here in southeast Michigan. Really high winds that knocked power out for hundreds of thousands of people. Originally, you still have at least tens of thousands who are still waiting for DTE to reconnect them, repair all of the damage. We're talking about the resiliency that we need to be developing, both in a physical sense, in a social sense, for these kind of storms, which are becoming more frequent, also becoming more intense. They also have a great deal of variety at this point, given that uh, last summer we were all talking about water and the amount of water that uh, rain would bring and overwhelm our pumps and our sewers and make our basements and streets and backyards uh, flooded. Uh, this other storm today, or the other day, was uh, about wind. Uh, there was rain, but, but the 70 mile an hour winds were the thing that did most of the damage. Um, what are we supposed to be doing? What are we supposed to be thinking about, talking about, changing so that we're prepared for these storms when they happen? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Mark, in Redford Township, you're up next. What's on your mind? Hello, Stephen. Good morning. Hey. Um, this conversation about uh, the sustainability of arboriculture, uh, I really support as well. But uh, my contribution is that uh, the danger of these power lines, especially with the kids going back to school and everything, um, a lot of kids like to pick these things up. They don't know what they are half of the time, especially the younger ones. And then there's the danger of fires in the neighborhoods if uh, a power line goes down. Um, so the, the structure of, of the grid is old, and it needs to be um, um, redone, essentially. I think I think that's part of President Biden's plan, but I'm not so sure where we're going with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mark, I really appreciate the call and and thinking about kids. If that had if that storm had been happening at a different time of the day, you could have had a lot of kids out walking home and think of how dangerous that that would have been. Uh, I, 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 I can't imagine uh, the fear and the anxiety that that would have struck in parents all over all over Metro Detroit. Uh, I want to get to a, a couple more callers before we have to end here. Alex in Clausen. Alex, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey. Um, so I, it's funny, I think you may have just kind of answered this question with a question from social media, um, but I grew up in the greater St. Louis area in Missouri, um, and it was really frequent there to have all kinds of tornadoes, high winds, um, all that sort of thing that we just dealt with. Um, but at the same time, it was pretty rare for power to take more than 24 hours to come back on. And a lot of the times we didn't lose power at all, even with lots of high winds all over the place. So I'm just wondering if it's, you know, is, is there something that maybe DTE can learn 
from these other places or is there something that we're doing differently here? Like, why does it seem like when, um, you know, when I was growing up there, it, it was much more manageable and uh, they were able to take care of it a lot more quickly than they are here. Yeah. Uh, again, really great question. And we've got a social media comment from my friend Tim Pamplin, who is uh, the night cam uh, for WDIV here in Detroit. He says, look, in Windsor, which has got a population of about 250,000 people, there were only about 100 customers who lost power. Now, that's right across the river. They had the same storm uh, that we did. Nick, Nick Shrek, that question about DTE learning uh, is interesting. We've only got about a minute left, but but why doesn't DTE see what other people are doing and, and mimic it? Yeah, great, great question. You know, and again, I, I can't, I can't speak for them, for the company, but, um, you know, again, I think a lot of this comes down to um, the age of the system, the deferred maintenance that, that hasn't, you know, taken place or the maintenance work that hasn't been completed here, um, and then necessary upgrades that we need that other communities have made. And then also just the way that many other communities do have more buried utility lines below ground, which, which of course are more, um, sustainable, you know, and, and would be a, a lot uh, more likely to maintain power during these type of wind events. So again, not knowing about the design of all these different places, um, you know, DT, they're part of all the, all these different, you know, institutes and lobbying groups. And so they, they know, they should know, and, and they should be able to implement the best practices here in the region. Um, yes, that comes at a cost, but, you know, ratepayers are paying high rates for electricity and we deserve to have our power on reliably and to be restored quickly. And, and so they, they need to figure it out. Yeah. Okay, Beth Gibbons and Nick Shrek, uh, really great to have both of you here for this conversation, which of course could probably go for hours given the interest on the phones and on social, but I really appreciate your time and uh, your wonderful insights. Thanks to both of you for being here. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you. All right, I want to apologize to new University of Detroit Mercy President Donald Taylor, who was supposed to also be on the show today and uh, we got carried away with the weather segment we will get him on to hear about his plans for the six mile campus uh, as soon as we can also come back tomorrow when we're going to talk with a journalist and think tank expert on the consequences of president joe biden's decision to cancel student debt this is 1019 wdetfm detroit's npr station your connection to news music and conversation we'll talk again tomorrow <laughs>